morning. Right. So, fortunately, today I'm not introducing a guest pastor. Steve's, uh, for Kevin, some of the reason, asked me to uh, teach this morning. So, first of all, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's been praying for me this week. Definitely needed it. It's been a tough week. So, um, today, I thought, well, first of all, I'll start with just kind of saying a few bits which some of you may know, but some of you may not know about me. First, I started coming on to his church when I was an 18-year-old student back in 2005. So you probably guess how old I am. And since I started the church, I very quickly got involved with helping. Got involved with setting up the sound equipment, turning it down. I think I remember being involved in that, brewing off of breakfast. Uh, Dave will know what I mean, because uh, me, Dave, and the worship leader at the time, and uh, another young chap used to meet up before church, have breakfast. And then I soon got involved with helping doing the uh, PowerPoint presentation. Back then, it wasn't PowerPoint, it was an overhead projector of acetates. I'm sure some of you will remember that. And then I just uh, got involved with Sunday school as well, teaching Sunday school. And just doing whatever was needed of me, even standing outside in the car park, directing traffic when we were at different locations. Whatever John and Steve needed me of the time, I'd be the one there, ready to help out and do whatever was needed. Uh, and then, with Sunday school, two months before me and Ruth were due to get married, uh, we all of a sudden had to take charge of Sunday school and lead Sunday school. So for four years now, me and Ruth have been overseeing Sunday school, been in charge of it. And then, as all, all of you know, just a few months ago, me and Reese were voted in as trust, uh, trustees and uh, council members of the church. And recently, in the last year, I've been helping Shelby and Kev, Pastor Kevin with uh, leading Wednesday night Bible studies, which has been great. And now, here I am this morning, in front of you guys, about to deliver my first ever message. So, a bit nervous, but I suppose in the essence, what I'm trying to say is that my testimony of my life in this church is that of being faithful in whatever is being asked of you by the Lord, being faithful in very small things, and the Lord will trust more things onto you. I would have never thought, always years ago when I worked for all the doors, that I'll be up here teaching not in a million years, but yet somehow here I am. <laughs> so this morning, I thought we would look at probably one of the most well-known psalms in the Bible, Psalm 23. And it is a great psalm. And two reasons why I've picked this psalm. First reason is that a long time ago, someone's told me that I should be start thinking about teaching on a Sunday morning, to which I responded, where would I begin? I don't know what to do. And all that person done is wrote down a piece of paper, Psalm 23, and said, that's where you start. So, quite literally take my advice. And the second reason I've chosen this portion of um, Scripture is the fact there's parts of Scripture like this where we know it. We know Psalm 23. Most non-Christians know Psalm 23 and probably quote portions of it. But yet, portions of Scripture like this do we truly know the depth and application and the relevance what it has upon our lives? Sometimes we think of them like, yeah, they're great, but do we actually really truly search the depth and meaning of it and truly understand 
all what's there and in it. Sometimes we don't. So that's why the Lord's placed on my heart to do this wonderful psalm. So let's first of all just read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity, what we have to come together as a fellowship, to spend time with each other, and also just to spend time in your holy word. As we read for your holy word, we ponder its meaning and we meditate upon it and we fill our hearts with it, Lord. But Lord, we pray that may our hearts be soft and open to hear what your Holy Spirit has got to say to us through your holy word, Lord. So Lord, we just dedicate this time to the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So start with verse 1, the Lord. You notice in your Bible, the Lord was probably capitalised, which means that it's those four little letters, Y-H-W-H, which is Yahweh, which we sung, can be in the song early on. The reason why I draw this out is because that name is almost the personal name of God. It's a name what the Jews held in such high regard and reverence uh, as they considered it to be God's personal name. And I love the fact that David wrote, uh, first wrote word was Lord. So he's making this a personal psalm to himself. And he says, first of all, this personal Lord of his is a shepherd. And when we think of t- shepherds today, we may think of Farmer Joe with his tractor and his trusty collie sheepdog. And those who have watched Sean the Sheep, like me and my boy, <laughs> you may have thoughts of that. But yeah, I'm pretty sure David had a different view of a shepherd. Because don't forget, David himself was a shepherd. And whether or not if David wrote this beautiful psalm whilst he was a shepherd, or as a kin, looking back and contemplation of his life previous, it doesn't matter. But what matters is the fact that David wrote this important psalm, which is applicable to us today, and the fact that we recognize that the Lord is our shepherd as well. And David, being a shepherd himself, I'm sure he knew exactly what he's talking about here. Because we even get a glimpse of David's life as a shepherd. If you remember in First uh, Samuel uh, chapter 17, David is going to the battlefield to visit his brothers. And when he gets to the battlefield, he sees a giant Goliath standing there saying, someone to fight me. And David's surprised that no one is going to fight him. So he goes on to Saul and says, Saul, I'll fight this guy. And Saul's like, you can't fight him. You're just a youth. He's a warrior. Been a warrior for him since his youth. How, who are you to fight this giant? And what David does, he recounts his life as a shepherd. He says this, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb out of the flock, I went out after it 
and struck it, and divided the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. As a shepherd, David thought of lions and bears, brutal beasts. And we hear news sometimes of keepers being mauled to death by these beasts. And lion and bears, they can easily rip a man apart to shreds. They're powerful. But yet David said that he fought off such brutal beasts. David said that he put his life in between his sheep and this enemy. David fought for his sheep. David protected his sheep. David gave his life for his sheep. I'm pretty sure David's dad would rather that David lost the sheep instead of losing his own younger son. But yet, for David, the most important thing was his sheep. The shepherd protects his flock and gives his life for his flock. And I'm glad that David used the word, my shepherd, as well. Because when I read this, I don't read that uh, the Lord is David's shepherd. I lead, he's my shepherd. He's your shepherd. He's our shepherd. And the same shepherd that protected David protects us as well. The same shepherd that fought for David fights for us. And who is this shepherd who I'm talking about? It's Jesus. For in John 10, verse 11 and verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, as Julie read earlier. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my sheep. And without a shepherd, sheep wander aimlessly. But when a sheep hears the voice of their shepherd, and they see their shepherd, they follow and listen and obey. And shepherd knows his sheep as well. The shepherd will be able to point out which sheep is which. He'll know his sheep by name. In the same way, Jesus, the Son of God, he knows us by name. He calls us by name. And without our shepherd Jesus, we too wander aimlessly like sheep do without their shepherd. But when Jesus calls us by name, we listen and we obey and we follow him, for he is our shepherd. And in this amazing shepherd, what we have, David goes on to say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack, is another word to put it. So our shepherd, he not only protects us, not only delivers us and saves us, but he provides for us. And David would have known what this meant. David knew that he had to lead his sheep to green pastures, to feed them. David knew he'd have to lead them to still waters to water them. David knew he'd have to lead them to a pen uh, to rest during the night. And then back in those days, pens would be uh, high walls with only one entry point, which would be open. 
which meant that the shepherd himself would become the door to the sheep pen, being the only fin standing between his sheep and the rest of the world. Which makes the metaphor of David's shepherd even greater. Because let's change it. I'm going to replace David's name for Jesus' name. In Jesus, his sheep lack nothing. Jesus gives us water to drink, living water to drink. Jesus feeds us by leading us to green pastures. And those green pastures are called his holy word. Jesus leads us to a place of safety, where we find safety in Jesus, where we can lay our burdens at his feet and rest in him. And Jesus is that one who stands between us and the rest of the world. Jesus fights to protect us, and he saves us, his sheep. There's nothing Jesus would not do for us, his sheep. And in Jesus, us, his sheep, truly lack nothing. Because in Matthew 6, verse 32, mine and Ruth, one of our favorite verses, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things shall be given unto you. Leading up to this verse, Jesus is talking about worrying, worrying about where you're going to get your next feed from, what clothes you're going to have to wear. And Jesus is saying, don't worry, but seek first God's kingdom. And I shall give you these things, what you need, these fundamental basics. So in our great good shepherd, Jesus, he will provide for our everyday needs. He'll clothe us. He'll feed us. He'll give us the money we need to pay our bills. He'll, he'll give us all what we need. But yet, what we lack in materials it's not the end of what this, the meaning and the depth of this verse here. Because, yes, we lack material things, but also we lack spiritual things as well sometimes. So, yes, Jesus fulfills our everyday needs, but more importantly, he fills our spiritual needs. The first thing he fills spiritually is that void what we have in our hearts, that emptiness, feeling that there must be something more out there. And he is what fills that void and is the only thing which can truly fill that void in our hearts. As well as that, as we walk along our spiritual walk with the Lord, sometimes we may lack courage. Maybe we lack courage to speak forth what we believe. Sometimes we lack courage to share what we believe. Sometimes we lack courage to stand up and fight for what we believe. That's okay. Because in Jesus, our shepherd, he shall give us the courage, what we need, to stand up and fight for our faith. Sometimes we lack strength. We lack strength to live this life that the God, God has called us to live, this holy life. Sometimes we lack the strength to obey him. Sometimes we just need more strength in our hearts to be able to fully commit to what God's called us to be. But it's okay if we lack strength, because Jesus is the strength what we need. We just pray to him, and he will be the strength what we need. When we are tempted, sometimes we lack the ability to get through that temptation. But yet, through Jesus, he will give us the way out of that temptation. He will be the strength what we don't have to fight that temptation. 
Sometimes we lack wisdom in our spiritual walk. And Jesus says, ask and it shall be given unto you. Jesus will be that wisdom, what we lack. With Jesus our shepherd, we truly shall not lack anything. And I like what David Guzik has said about this phrase about lacking. David said, For David, the fact of God's shepherd-like care was the end of dissatisfied need. He said, I shall not want, both as a declaration and as a decision. The declaration, I shall not want, means all my needs are supplied by the Lord my shepherd. And the decision, I shall not want, means I decide not to desire more than what the Lord my shepherd gives that last point I think is important because you may think it's like oh could always have more or I don't have enough riches I don't have enough prosperity in my life but yet we've got to just make that purposeful decision in our hearts that truly in Jesus our shepherd we shall not lack anything in essence Jesus gives us the one thing we need more than anything else in this whole, whole world that's salvation Without salvation, what good is anything else? It's nothing. It's just but a vapor. Whereas salvation, by putting your faith and trust in Jesus and asking him to forgive you of your sins, is everlasting. But yet before a person can say that Jesus is their shepherd and say that in Jesus they lack nothing, they've got to acknowledge that they are just a sheep. And that sheep are dependent. Sheep need a shepherd to lead them. Sheep need a shepherd to lead them to where they eat, to where they drink, to where they sleep. Sheep, in essence, are humble creatures. We're not wild, we're domestic. And we too need to realize that we are just like sheep. We need to be led. We need a provider. We need to humble ourselves and acknowledge the fact that we do need a shepherd in our life. And the Lord Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, is that shepherd. He is our personal shepherd, in whom we shall never lack if we just simply trust in him, put our faith in him. This shepherd of ours, as we see in verse 2, he makes us to lay down in green pastures, and he leads us beside the still waters. And when you're laying down in those green pastures, you're resting. But notice in verse 2, it says, he makes me to lie down. It doesn't say he helps me to, he encourages me to, but he makes me to lay down in green pastures. And relevant today's society, sometimes it's hard to rest. Sometimes we don't know when to switch off. We can be like the Energizer Bunny, keep on going on and on and on. But yet, we need to stop and rest. And the Lord will make us stop and rest. But when we rest, we rest in him. Rest in his truths. David Guzik said, Sheep doesn't always know what it needs and what is best for itself. So the needs, the help from the shepherd. And we surely need our help from the shepherd when it comes to rest. 
And when a sheep goes and lays down in its green pastures, it's got its food. It's got an endless supply of grass, lush green grass there for it to eat. When we come and rest in Jesus, we rest in his holy word, which is our food, which is where we get our daily need from supplies from. For the Bible is our food, just like grass is a sheep's food. He leads us beside the still waters. Kind of similar idea to the green pastures. Sheep needs to eat and sheep needs to drink. We need to eat through God's holy word. We need to drink from that everlasting water, what Christ has got for us. But yet, eating, drinking reminds me of something. Reminds me what Jesus says in John, where John says, where Jesus says in the John, I am the bread of life, and I am the living water. Whoever feeds of me shall never hunger. Whoever thirsts or uh, drinks of me shall never thirst again. With Jesus our shepherd, we shall never hunger or thirst for anything else in our lives, because Jesus our shepherd, we shall not want or lack anything. Jesus our shepherd shall provide every need what we have, both physical, material, and spiritual. And Jesus, our shepherd, our good, great shepherd. David goes on, says that this great shepherd of ours restores our soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This idea of restores my soul, the word restore is Another word for turn back or to return. So it gives the idea of repentance. Baker wrote, He restoreth my soul. He restores it to its original purity. That was green, uh, sorry, that was grown foul and black with sin. For also, what good were it to have green pastures and a black soul? To able to fully appreciate the tender grass that's before us, to fully appreciate God's holy word, we need to have a soul that's been restored, a soul that's no longer covered by the filthiness of sin that is in our lives, a soul that is now pure and washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ that he spilt upon the cross when he died for the sins of this world to fully appreciate that good shepherd we need to have that restored soul a repentant soul and if your soul has been washed and cleansed by Jesus Christ and your sins been forgiven you he not only just once he's restored your soul he leads you in paths of righteousness this idea of leading us in path of righteousness, it kind of reminds me of 2 Timothy 3, 16, a well-known verse, which says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. What's the last part? For instruction in righteousness. I want to just give this verse a bit of context, focusing on the first part about all scripture. Spare me a moment. All scripture is basically the Bible. 
Let's talk about God's holy word, what we have here in front of us today. Um, John, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, says, In the beginning was the word. The word was God. And the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made. And later, in verse 14, the same chapter, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only living, begotten uh, of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the word of God. That's what John is saying in that chapter. That Jesus is the word of God. So when we read our Bibles... We read in Jesus. With that in mind, think about 2 Timothy. All scripture. All Jesus. All Jesus leads us in paths of righteousness. So what is righteousness? That's the next question. Righteousness is simply that holy living. Living according to the standard which God has set, a standard which is hard to meet, <laughs> impossible. But yet through Jesus Christ, he lived that righteous requirement and paid the price for our sins for us because he lived that righteous requirement. But yet we're still called to live a righteous life. We're still called to live our lives which are honoring and pleasing to God. And we can only do that through the word of God. We can only do that through meditating upon God's word. We can only do that through learning and studying God's holy word. We can only do that for growing in our walk, which we do through God's holy word. Our shepherd, Jesus, is the one who helps us to grow in our walk. And it's only by knowing more of Jesus that we can grow in him and be led down the path of righteousness. But why does Jesus lead us down the path of righteousness? Why does Jesus want to be our shepherd? For his name's sake, as it says at the end of verse 3 there. And if you ask me what's the meaning and purpose of life, of existence, it's for his name's sake. It's for his glory that we live. We live to honor and please and worship and glorify our Father in heaven. And we live to bring all the glory to God. Not just a little bit, not just half, but all the glory to God. That's what we live for. Another quote by David Guzik. So I do love him. The shepherd was a guide. The sheep didn't need to know where the green pasture or still waters were. All he needed to know was where the shepherd was. The shepherd would guide the sheep to what he needed. The Lord will guide us to tender green grass. The Lord will lead us and guide us to still waters and into paths of righteousness. And he will do it all for his glory and his name. We don't need to know exactly where all that is. We just need to follow Jesus and he will show us. And as we move on to verse 4, we've been talking about lush green pastures, still waters, 
paths of righteousness. But in verse 4, this beautiful psalm takes a bit of a dark twist, you could say. So we read, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we can talk about lush green grass and beautiful still waters for all day, because that's the stuff we love, but we go through our dark valleys in this world. We do. First thing I want to draw out about this dark valley and what uh, David is saying here, look in verse 4. It says, For you are with me. He says, Your rod, your staff, comfort me. Verse 5, he continues with it. It says, You prepare and you anoint. Basically, David uh, here is now fo- twisting his, uh, or shifting his focus. Before, he's been focusing on telling us about his good shepherd and all what his good shepherd does. But now, he's talking directly to the shepherd. He's direct saying to the shepherd that even though I walk through the valley of shadow death, you're with me. It's kind of funny if you think about it. David being the sheep talking to the shepherd. Animals don't normally talk, but yet if you've got a pet, you'll know that's not exactly true. Animals do talk. They communicate to us. They, somehow you know when they're saying that they need something, like they need to go outside for a loo, or they need food, or, or they need some company or attention. Animals do talk. I'm not saying believe in do little, but <laughs> animals do communicate to us. And us being sheep, it means that we communicate too, to our shepherd. We communicate to our shepherd through prayer. question is, is when we communicate to our shepherd, and we do a lot of it when we go through dark valleys, are we listening? Especially when we're going through the dark valleys, are we listening to hear his, his instruction, his guidance, and what he's got to say to us? After all, our shepherd, he knows the ways out of those valleys. Look at verse 4 again. But I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This valley has a shadow of death about it. Even though death isn't there, death still casts its shadow onto the valley onto the path of it. But it's okay. Because what can a shadow do? What is in a shadow? Nothing. I love what Spurgeon says. Spurgeon says, death in its substance has been removed and only the shadow of it remains. Someone has said that when there is a shadow, there must be light somewhere. And so there is. Death stands by the side of the highway in which we have to travel. And the light of heaven shining upon him throws a shadow across our path. Let us then rejoice that there is a light beyond. Nobody's afraid of a shadow, for a shadow cannot stop a man's pathway, even for a moment. The shadow of a dog cannot bite. The shadow of a sword cannot kill. The shadow of death cannot destroy us. And even though we are not facing death itself, Death still casts its dark shadow upon our paths. 
but yet we've got nothing to be afraid of. David Guzik says, we understand that a shadow is tangible, but is cast by something that is. One can rightly say that we face only the shadow of death because Jesus took the full reality of death in our place. There are many valleys what we walk through in our Christian life. But yet, we walk through them. It doesn't matter what's overshadowing the valley, but when you come across this deep, dark valley, which is immediately scary, but you don't meander in it, you don't wander in this deep, dark valley, you don't stand in the valley or sit in the valley, you walk through it. You walk through this valley. Why do you walk through it? Because our shepherd is leading us through the valley. It doesn't matter what is hedging around us in this valley, what's surrounding us. Because what's the worst thing which can happen to man in this world? Death. And as we just read, death has got no substance over us. The worst thing which can happen to man is nothing to us. Because Jesus has faced death. Jesus conquered death. So when we go through our valleys, we can find great comfort and strength in our shepherd who leads us through these dark valleys. And why, ultimately? Because whatever valley we go through, no matter how dark it is, our shepherd Jesus has already been through that valley himself as a human being when he came and walked upon this earth. Hebrews 4 verse 13 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points was tempted as we are, but yet without sin. Jesus knows what it's like to go through these valleys. But Jesus made it out through those valleys. The other reason why we can walk through those valleys, as I said earlier, is because Jesus, our shepherd, is guiding us and directing us through these valleys. He knows the paths to take. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And when we go through valleys in life, even the ones where death is shadowing over us, we have no reason to fear because our shepherd is with us. The very presence of our shepherd gives us peace and comfort forever what can be thrown in our paths in the face of dark valleys. And I'm sure David in his lifetime went through many dark valleys and some of those valleys, I'm sure death was definitely show, uh, casting his very big shadow over David as he faced death many times by the hands of various enemies. But yet, at each point, David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not fear no evil. David knew that. And it's a truth today which we can hold on today because in essence, David's shepherd is our shepherd. It's the same shepherd. The same shepherd that saved David's life and delivered him and provided for him is the same shepherd that saves our lives and provides for us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the rod and staff were instruments what the shepherd would use to fend off the enemies of the sheep and also to guide the sheep as well. 
but I'm pretty sure God hasn't got a big massive rod what he's using to whack our enemies with and a big massive staff in his end to yank us by the neck and direct us. We may not have that, but God's given us his holy word. He's given us his holy word to, to uh, defend our faith with, to defeat the enemy with. He's given us his word to show us where to get our food from, from him. He's given us a word to chew on, to meditate on. He's given us his Holy Spirit as well, the greatest tool we could ever ask for. Because the Holy Spirit is one who convicts us. The Holy Spirit is one who helps us grow. The Holy Spirit is the one who talks directly into our hearts what God's got to say to us. David, now in verse 5, takes a slightly different stance on this shepherd. He says, For you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup every once. To be honest, for a long time I was baffled by his line, Do you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies? What does that mean? You break it down. Why did you prepare a table? You prepare a table for a great big feast. You have a, your table, your tablecloth on top of it, your mats with your plates and your glasses and your knives and forks and your spoon, your spoon of promise, John, <laughs> promise of dessert. <laughs> and then in the middle of the table, you have your, your food spread out before you. You have your lamb, your game, your fish, your desserts, your veg, and you enjoy your big, massive feast before you. And then at this feast... You have your friends and your family and your loved ones with you. You feel comfort, you feel peace, you feel relaxed because of this great big banquet before you. But notice here, David says that this great big banquet, this great feast has been prepared not for you and your family and your loved ones, but for you and your enemies. Don't get me wrong, David knew what an enemy was. <laughs> he had Absalom his own son, who tried to overthrow him on his throne and went after David to kill him. David had kin Saul, who God said, Saul, I rejected you, and David's going to be kin. And Saul had great jealousy over David. And before David was kin, Saul would do everything he can in his power as kin to kill David. And he'd done it a few times. If it wasn't for God saving David. David had his enemies. But yet, David also knew that in the presence of his enemies, that God was preparing a table for him. David can, knew that in his presence of his enemies, he can have rest and peace and comfort because he knew that his shepherd was with him. He knew his shepherd would protect him. He knew his shepherd would deliver him. He knew his shepherd would provide for all his needs. So David could say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. <coughs> Aaron had his head anointed when he became high priest. David had his head anointed when he became king. And so did Solomon, his son. Jesus had his head anointed at Bethany. 
leading up to his final week here on earth in Jerusalem. So the night on the head showed that you were special. Night on the head showed that you were called. Night on the head showed that you had favour. Our shepherd, Jesus, anoints our head to show us that we are special to him, to show that we've been called. We've been called by name, by him. It shows that we have got favour in the sight of God through Jesus Christ. And the cup, the cup that's won and over, is the cup of God's blessings. The cup of God's blessings that is poured out over us. And God has blessed, has blessed us beyond all what we can think and imagine. So much so that the rich blessings of God truly does overfill our hearts and our lives and our cup. And finally, verse 6. My cup runs over. Sorry. Uh, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mm. David knew that his shepherd would always bring him goodness and mercy. That goodness and mercy would always follow him all the days of his life. And the same is true for us. The word mercy, uh, sorry, the word good or goodness can mean moral goodness as well as while living. With Jesus our shepherd, we'll definitely have both good living and good morals. Mercy simply means unfailing love, loyal love. And with Jesus our shepherd, both of these will follow us wherever we go. And what better way to end this amazing verse than with that eternal perspective? I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So isn't that where we want to be? With God in heaven? In his presence forever? And one day we will. Because one day forever will start for us. And there is no better place than to start living in God's house forever than today. Because even if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know Jesus as your shepherd, he's knocking on the door of your heart, asking to be that shepherd of yours. All you have to do is confess your sins, repent of your sins, and ask Jesus to forgive you of them, and he will be that shepherd of your heart. And all these blessings and promises, what we've been reading today, the fact that in him you shall never lack anything again, and that he will restore your soul, and that he will feed you and, and feed you the richness of his word, all of that will become true in your life. You should never fear any of your enemies again because what can an enemy do? Nothing. They may take your life, but you'll just be in heaven with the Father forever and ever. As Paul said, to die is gain because to live is Christ, but to die is gain because you'll be with Christ. But if you do know your shepherd, Jesus, you know Jesus is your Lord and Saviour, but for some odd reason you're feeling that he hasn't quite been the shepherd that he needs to be over your life. Once again, it's not too late. Jesus 
wants to be that shepherd over your life. You've just got to humbly say, Lord, I can't live this life without you. And say, Lord, I've tried to do it on my own accord, tried my own strength, and I've failed. So let Jesus be the strength. Be, let Jesus be your all and everything today. Jesus the good shepherd. Jesus our good shepherd. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for giving us your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross so that we may receive the forgiveness of our sins. I thank you that we can be with you in all eternity in heaven because of what you've done upon that cross. And Father, I thank you for giving us your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our shepherd, to lead us and guide us, direct us, provide for us and deliver us. And Father, I pray that May we just be refreshed by knowing all that our shepherd does for us. And may we just humbly commit ourselves to be your sheep, Lord, and follow you and your call and your direction and guidance for our lives, Lord. Lord, we worship you and we praise you and glorify your holy name. Amen.